Hey, welcome back to your favorite YouTube channel. This is Gabe DeArmond with PowerMizzou.com. Today is Thursday, and we are previewing Mizzou and Boston College for the first time ever on the football field. We're going to get to that in just a minute here on Opposition, opposition Research, presented by Edward Jones and Stuart Eastman. Uh, there you see the information to my left on your screen over at Rainbow Trout Drive. 573-817-3108 is where you can get a hold of Stuart for all your financial needs. Edward Jones is a different kind of investment firm to us. FaceTime and ThinkTime makes sense. We'll meet with you to learn your individual needs so we can develop a strategy to help you achieve long-term financial goals. Whether you want to plan for retirement, save for college, reduce tax bills, or ensure you have income, to cover all your expenses, all those things sound good. You can expect personalized service and long-term investment strategies instead of the latest investment fads. Get in touch with Stuart Eastman there at Edward Jones, and he will take care of you. Speaking of people that are going to take care of you, we're going to turn to our opponent expert this week. That's going to be Andy Backstrom from EagleAction.com. He covers Boston College for the Rivals.com network. Andy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Gabe. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. So a lot of these, uh, a lot of these shows and a lot of these games, it's like, okay, we have some frame of reference. Last year, these two teams played, or they have played before. Mizzou and Boston College, uh, no such thing. Uh, it, Kind of fun, I think, always to, to get a new series and a new opponent on the schedule. Absolutely. BC typically doesn't play an SEC opponent. This is the first time since 1987 that an SEC team will come into Alumni Stadium. The last time BC played an SEC team was 2008 in the Music City Bowl. They lost to Vanderbilt that year. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different experience for Boston College. It's a different kind of matchup, but a new series and a good one at that. So, let's start with... What do we know about Boston College? I mean, they've outscored teams like 124 to 31, and the closest thing I think they've played to like a, a real opponent is Temple, which I'm not sure what we think of Temple because they got run by Rutgers in week one. Yeah, Temple's not the same Temple we saw in the mid to late 2000s, mm -hmm. um, but Temple, you know, has a good pedigree. And uh, beating any team 28 to 3, especially a higher regarded team in the FBS, is still a statement. Uh, but as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, BC really hasn't played anyone real. This week is a litmus test for Boston College against Missouri. This is the first real test. People have been waiting to see if BC can go into Clemson the next week 4-0. But first, you have to beat Missouri, which is a very real team, an SEC opponent um, that's already played legitimate opponents, already had a game against Kentucky. Um, that was a test for Missouri itself. So I think this is a game people have had circled. It's at home. Uh, again, an ACC opponent and, and a real test for where this BC team actually is. So the big story, obviously, with BC is that Phil Jerkovec, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly correctly, but uh, goes out a, a week ago, out for the season. BC throws for 34 yards in his absence. So uh, where's where's the passing game at? And I, I mean, I'm sure there's some nerves and stuff like that game one, but but what are realistic expectations for for that uh, aspect going forward? That was a huge blow to BC. Phil Dracovic's a guy that people have first to third round NFL grades for him. He's someone that will come back next year because of this injury. But if he played well enough this year, he probably would have left for the NFL draft. 
But that being said, I really think that Dennis Grossell yesterday didn't really show, again, as you mentioned, 34 passing yards. Um, that was more of a byproduct of the game plan. Temple is not good at stopping the run. BC has been uh, really just not trying to show opponents anything on tape. They've been very vanilla. They've been trying to run the ball. And I think that was more of we can beat Temple without throwing it, and we don't want to give Missouri or Clemson or anyone else a look at what this passing offense is going to be without Dracovic. Uh, Grossell is, is a step down from Phil Dracovic, but he is one of the most proven backups there is in college football. He started eight games, well, now nine after Temple. Um, he had a record-setting performance against UVA last year. He came in and threw for 520 yards, tying Doug Flutie's single-game program record. He's got a big arm. Uh, that's not the problem. He makes a lot of the right reads. Uh, he's not as accurate, maybe, as Dracovic is, but he's a better runner, and he's a gamer. He's, he's a really good leader, and he's definitely someone who – it's not like you're just sliding in a true freshman or someone who hasn't played before. Dennis Grossell knows what he's doing. The question will be, will BC's defense be playing well enough to keep them in games? Um, because I don't think Grossell is going to win them games themselves. When he is throwing the ball, is it, it – I mean, do they have one or two guys that, that are, you know, kind of the, the guys you got to identify first? Or, uh, you know, what do his targets look like? Zay Flowers is the name to know. He's a guy that probably will leave. Uh, after this season. Um, it depends on what his targets look like. I mean, it was guaranteed probably that he would leave when Dracovic was still throwing the ball. We'll have to see what the offense looks like again with Grossell back there. But CBS just, just did a mock draft where they had him going 22nd overall to the Arizona Cardinals for next year. Uh, BC's never had a first-round wide receiver. So this is rare. This guy is something else. Uh, reminds me a lot of a, a Stephon Diggs. He's a little bit smaller, but he is, you know, he plays big. He's a vertical threat. He can blow the top off the defense. He's also a horizontal threat. They use him in the jet sweep. They use him on bubble screens. They swing him outside. Uh, they motion him a lot, pre-snap motion. This offense is a lot of layered passing routes and pre-snap motion. Um, otherwise, look at C.J. Lewis as a big third-down target. Kobe White is a guy who came back from an ACL injury but led this team in receiving yards from 2017 to 2019. Um, and Jaden Williams is a, a true freshman who has two touchdowns this year. And a lot of people think he could be the next Zay Flowers. So there are a ton of wide receivers here, which is not typical for Boston College. Um, but, yeah, they do have the weapons. All right. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the BC passing game. And anybody who's watched Missouri play and is watching this show is thinking, you're kind of whistling past the graveyard here because I'm not sure anybody needs to actually throw the football against Missouri. Um, they gave up. I don't close to 300 yards rushing against Kentucky. They gave up close to 300 yards rushing against Southeast Missouri State, even though, you know, 180 of that was in the fourth quarter against like third string defenders. Uh, the numbers are ugly. So I know BC is averaging uh, a couple hundred yards rushing a game. Is that, I, I mean, is this a sense where BC's offensive strength will match up with Missouri's defensive weakness? Is that what they want to do first? That's definitely going to be their game plan because, again, I really think that this offense changes. Uh, they, they say it doesn't, but I think from last week against Temple, I think you can tell that they want to run the football, and they have wanted to run the football. Last year it was out of whack. They did not want to be that imbalanced with the passing uh, over the running, um, and I think you'll see them try to run the ball again. Now, the question is, they switched over from uh, a man-to-man -man blocking scheme to a zone blocking scheme for when Jeff Halfley took over and Frank Signetti Jr. is the offensive coordinator. And that caused some growing pains last year. Now, again, 
like every other team with COVID, there was not much of a spring ball and limited training camp, and they rearranged the offensive line. So that might have contributed. But this year, there's been times where the running games really worked, um, especially against UMass, but it works against, for most people, against UMass. <laughs> right. um, and, and, and times where it hasn't worked as much. So I think that will be, you know, really a telltale game if, if BC can get it going against Missouri, even if they have struggled against the run. It's a part of the offense that they're still trying to find a true identity. There's not one running back that is the bell cow. Uh, Pat Garwell was the guy who got the start yesterday, but they've had three different running backs start in three weeks they've had. So you'll see more of a committee approach. Uh, they've got four guys they really like to use, but they do want balance. That, that's something they really do want. So you mentioned earlier uh, the key is going to be, you know, can BC's defense keep them in games? I mean, what what are the strengths in, in relative weaknesses there? What what has given, again, through the, the schedule they've played, it might be a little tough to tell, but UMass put up 28 points. Where's the, where's the vulnerability there, do you think? Yeah, the UMass game is really interesting. When you look at BC, they've held opponents scoreless nine of 12 quarters this year. So that's a that's a pretty good feat. But again, the schedule has been a cakewalk. Uh, when you look at the UMass game, it all unraveled in the third quarter. They have 21 points. Now, seven of those were after a muff punt uh, goal line score. Um, but that was a game in which the secondary really let down. And that's what people look at BC. They really want to see an improvement of those defensive backs. Jeff Halfley was a defensive back guru when he was with Ohio State. And then he did the same thing when he coached for seven years as an NFL assistant. Um, so that's what people want to see. And, and, and last week against Temple, there was that improvement. The secondary played great. They never broke. Uh, sometimes they bend, but they, they didn't break. Um, and something that was really a big improvement was the, the linebackers. That was a unit that got hit hard in the offseason. Uh, BC lost his two leading tacklers, Isaiah McDuffie, who's with the Packers now, and Max Richardson, who's on the Raiders practice squad. So that was a unit that really got hit hard. Uh, in terms of graduation and leaving for the NFL. Um, they played well last week. The defensive line is another group that's pretty vulnerable. Um, they were really, really hit hard with departures and injuries. Uh, Jabuzi on Wuka was a transfer from Buffalo they had last year. He tore his Achilles in preseason. He's out for the year. Luke Beckett was a guy who they had last year over from Cal, but now he's back at Cal because the Pac-12 is uh, playing this year. He came over to BC because he thought they wouldn't be playing last year. Um, and then Marcus Valdez is BC's best pass rusher. Um, he's been out all year with a hand injury. So they've really had to rely on true freshmen, um, which is probably going to result in some of those guys using their freshman year instead of redshirting. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been really a rotational. It's almost like hockey line shifts. A lot of guys coming in and out of that defensive line. Sometimes they play with three defensive ends and one defensive tackle or nose tackle. So that's a pretty interesting approach. So we'll we'll see how that goes as the season progresses. I know uh, you mentioned Jeff Halfley came over from Ohio State, and I'm just curious. Ohio State really became kind of that that one program that was in the Big Ten that started to look more like an SEC team, right? They they went with the speed and athleticism, and they stood out from that league a little bit. Is that kind of Halfley's approach, and where's he at in the process of, you know, kind of upgrading overall team speed, athleticism, things like that, to, to where he wants it? Yeah, that's where he does want it. Uh, it's hard to make that transformation when you go from a team like Ohio State and then you go to BC, and you need time to get your recruits in the building. Halfley's someone who really likes to build through the high school process. He doesn't like pulling a lot of transfers in, even though he's had success with that, obviously. 
but he wants to build from within and that takes time but you're seeing it a little bit more this year again a lot of it's still been vanilla because they've been playing opponents they're blowing out mm-hmm. but they do like to play in a 4-2-5 they like to have their nickel packages most of the game where you've got five defensive backs um they use that nickel back kind of as a Sometimes they put him in the box. Sometimes they blitz him. Um, sometimes he acts just as a regular corner. Uh, they'll often throw in an extra safety for dime. It, he likes to get creative in that way. Uh, he, they really like to use a lot of their defensive backs on the field at the same time. It's usually two linebackers on the field. So, yes, speed. Uh, they converted over one of their safeties to linebacker this offseason. It's a lot about getting hats on the ball, getting to the ball quickly, and uh, forcing turnovers. Yeah, so – Big picture. I mean, you mentioned it. It's Clemson next week, and uh, whatever might happen there, that's that's definitely the best team BC plays. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule, and like every game, I'm going, eh, that one could go either way. That one could go either way. It, it's the only other ranked team they have is Virginia Tech, who just got beat. Uh, you know, there's Wake Forest, Florida State, Louisville, NC State, a bunch of teams that are are kind of down right now. So what's a, what's a good season for BC and, and B like how important is this Missouri game in, in terms of getting to that point? This game is huge. People have had this circled on the calendar even before Phil Dracovic went out. This was a game in which people thought, okay, if BC wins this, they go into death Valley four and they'll probably be ranked uh, for the first time since 2018, second time in, a, in the decade. That's big alone for a program, for recruiting, for the progress of Jeff Halfley. So this game is big, uh, especially considering it's at home against an SEC opponent. That being said, yeah, what, what's a good season? I mean, before this year started with Dracovic in, people thought this conference was pretty wide open. It certainly seems that way now when you see Clemson almost losing to Georgia Tech and you see you know Miami getting crushed and it's just it's it's a weird year, uh, but it has been a weird couple of years in the ACC. And I think uh, BC, a successful season would be anything more than seven wins. They haven't had an eight win season uh, since 2009. And I think people want more than that. But I think you have to start there. So if they win eight games with a backup quarterback starting for most of the year, I think that's considered a success for BC. So. You mentioned the fans have had this one circled for a while. I mean, I'm not going to uh, profess to watching a ton of Boston College football over the the last few years. What's what's the home field advantage like? What do you think the atmosphere is going to be like for this game? I mean, do they are are they drawn well under Halfley, or is that kind of a building process? It's tough to it's really tough to judge because they've had one home game this year and yeah. and it was a pretty good, you know, they had 28,000 people there against Colgate and FCS team. But last year, of course, no one was allowed to go. Um, they didn't have any fans in the stadium because of COVID. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really hard to judge. I, I expect a good turnout this week. It's parents weekend. There will be parents there. Uh, students will be there. Students showed out well in week one. Um, I think that you'll see, yeah, I think there'll be a good turnout. I've heard a lot of Missouri people are traveling, mm-hmm. and I know that there's a strong contingent there in Boston for whatever reason. I think SEC people are everywhere, so right. that's not too surprising to me. But uh, I think it'll be a pretty good showing. I mean, it, the stadium fits 44,500 people. Um, anytime you have a big program like a Clemson or a Notre Dame come, it fills up. So, yeah, I would expect at least 38,000 people there. Um, okay. Yeah. 
should be a good show. So you mentioned, I mean, this is the the game that a lot of Missouri fans said, this is the road game I'm going to this year because, you know, they don't get that chance. I mean, they can go to Knoxville or, or Columbia, South Carolina any time they want. Uh, this this may be the only time Missouri plays up in BC. So obviously, look, there's Boston. I'm not going to ask you what to do in Boston, but around campus on game day, what what or maybe after the game, what kind of things are there? What, what places should Missouri fans hit up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the two main areas, you know, Chestnut Hill is where the campus is located, mm-hmm. uh, but Newton Center is right near there. A ton of famous people are from Newton. Uh, it's like the Matt Damon area. I'm pretty okay. sure John Krasinski is from Newton. Uh, there's a really nice area in Newton Center where there's a diner called Johnny's Luncheonette. I always love that one. Um, you know, the, it, it's just a great place to check out for food, uh, ice cream after the game. There's a JP Licks there. Um, and then if you go into Cleveland Circle, which is a little bit towards the other side of campus, um, there's a place called Eagles Deli. A lot of people on campus love going there for just some bar food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you want to take the tea in afterwards in Fenway, there's always great spots to eat. Um, most people know the typical Boston places, but it's really accessible. BC is the last stop on the T for the green line. So if you want to take the train in, you can do that. Um, but it's a great experience. The tailgating is far different from many SEC schools. There's just not as much space at BC, but it's definitely got a passion to it. There's alumni that come out, students will be there and it's, it's got a good spirit to it. Yeah, so what what is the pregame scene like? I mean, is is it tailgating in the parking lots, or do people usually kind of kind of go somewhere else before the game? The tailgating spread out because you know there's there's a freshman only campus and there's some tailgating there, um, and then there's another campus um, in an area called Brighton, and people go there, and then there's tailgating on the actual main campus. So it's spread out a little bit, but yes, people do tailgate. Um, that starts up early in the morning. They're usually allowed four hours of tailgating before the game, one hour after. Um, and that is definitely a big scene, especially for parents weekend. I expect there to be a lot of people out there. Um, it's, it's a good time. And that's people usually do. They usually wake up, they tailgate go to the game. Um, and then afterwards it's, let's grab something to eat. Let's go out into Boston. People usually spend their time that way. All right, so get you out of here with this. I don't love to ask for predictions, especially a few days ahead of the game, but just, you know, what what do you see is, is kind of a key or two here and, and what's BC got to do well to win this uh, and, and kind of propel them forward? I think that defensively they've got to build off of this past performance against Temple. Uh, if they play anything like they did against UMass, giving up 21 points in one quarter to a team that scored 12 total points off last year, um, I just don't see that voting well for them in that game against against Missouri or any other game this year. I think the defense really has to step up without Dracovic. I think Grossell is more capable than a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, that being said, he's the kind of quarterback that probably will play better with a lead. Um, I think he takes too many risks sometimes, and I think when he has the lead, he'll be a little bit more comfortable stringing together first downs. So I think if the defense plays well, special teams play well, and they give him a lead, um, I think that's BC's best chance of winning. But if they get down in a 14-point hole, I think you'll start to see him taking shots where he probably shouldn't, and it could get away from BC. All right. Well, Andy, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for the time, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to Saturday. Thanks so much, Gabe. Really appreciate you having me on. All right. Have a good one. Andy Backstrom from Eagle Action. Dot com, the Boston College Rivals site. Um, you can get any coverage you need of BC there leading up to and through the game. 
Uh, again, first meeting ever between these two teams. It's at, well, it's noon local time, 11 a.m. Missouri local time on Saturday. And um, it'd be, I, I think it all comes down to whether Missouri can finally figure out a way to stop somebody's running game. They haven't done it yet this year. BC is not a great running team, but they, they run it decently. They've played absolutely no one, haven't been tested this year. Missouri does have, have one test. I think at the beginning of the year, Missouri fans thought, hey, Kentucky and BC, if you can split those games, come home 3-1 and one, uh, for Tennessee, that's, that's probably a pretty good September. Missouri's got that opportunity, but we will find out on uh, Saturday morning if they get it done. So once again, uh, Stuart Eastman and Edward Jones bring this show to you every week where we go in-depth on Mizzou's opponent on opposition research. Edward Jones offers numerous investments and services to help you reach all your financial goals, including smart spending, borrowing options, retirement, paying for education, estate considerations, and protecting all of your assets. Please contact Stuart Eastman at 573-817-3108. You can also go to edwardjones.com and search him out. Stuart has uh, done most of my financial stuff here over the last 10 years, and would certainly recommend that you use him to handle all of your needs in that regard. So thanks to Stuart and to Edward Jones. Thanks to all you guys for watching. We will be back uh, tomorrow with our pick show. Going to have a, a special guest and maybe even a uh, you know giveaway or two for you guys. And then uh, Saturday morning's game day. So we will talk to you later on.